2: It's the KC Laboratory presented by m Bank. With m you can check your balance as fast as you can check the scores. They'll even give you instant replay so you can review the ruling on the field. m Bank, member FDIC. So appreciative of them, what they have done uh, for KC Sports Network. It's been a lot of fun uh, working with them. And it's been a lot of fun working with my dear pal the last few years. Follow him on Twitter at Chief in Carolina, Maddie Lane. Hello! Boy, it sure has been fun, hasn't it? (laughs) It really has been.
1: And so I had some stuff I was going to talk about, but actually, we had big news today to those of our fans that live kind of near Wichita. They are getting a Whataburger. And like, I understand that Patrick Mahomes got his foot in the door, you know, he opened it up, but I think we all really know who closed that deal. Our good pal, (laughs) the big institution himself. Craig, stop. And Craig, if I'm wrong, if you didn't bring Whataburger to the Wichita area, I mean, speak up now and tell the people no. No? Nope? All right, you guys heard it. So get on Twitter, <laughs> get on the KCSN Discord, and just thank at Barley Hop. Thank the big RM for bringing a Whataburger to the Kansas City area, to the Wichita area, because now you guys can enjoy it all because of him. The
2: big institution brings in a fast food institution to Wichita. <laughs> Put on a T-shirt. i love it i love it craig's not with us this week uh as you you can probably tell but that doesn't mean the jokes aren't going to continue to fly uh i don't know craig will be back soon uh you know he's celebrating and, and and trying to help transition uh his family into a big life moment so uh we'll we'll try to we'll try to you know try to do our best here Uh, In his absence. And we've got a lot to talk about today. We want to talk about some of the training camp narratives, you know, buying or selling some of the stuff out of training camp. But we think we probably need to start with this. Laurent DuVernay Tardif has a broken uh, bone in his hand, a four to six week injury. Uh, A guy that probably couldn't afford to be missing this kind of time, Maddie.
1: Yeah, he's in a very tricky spot because he was the starter at right guard for the team that went and won the Super Bowl. He then stepped away from football last year to help you know, fight COVID on the front lines. And as he's returned to the Chiefs, it's been a little bit of an uphill battle for him to get back that starting role. First, you had Kyle Long, who was brought in after his year of retirement, was slated in the start, who also happened to get injured. Then Trey Smith, a you know day three pick that's a rookie, Comes in, kind of earns that starting job during rookie camp, during the first part of OTAs, and he looks like he's not going to let that starting role go. So you kind of have a veteran in LDT that's paid a good amount of money, that's got starting experience, it's got a Super Bowl ring that he started and played in, and he's fighting to be the backup right guard. Then he unfortunately has this major injury this close to the start of the season. It looks like it's going to be really hard for the Chiefs to find a way to keep him around despite, you know, that big payday, despite the experience there's just not a lot of roster spots for guy that's only ever played right guard who's not winning that starting right guard
2: position uh in my most recent 53 man prediction with kc sports network on the kcsn Substack, you should uh subscribe to that by the way i i had ldt out of the top 50 or out of my 53 man roster and that was before this injury news i think I think we might have seen the last of Laurent DuVernay Tardif in a Kansas City Chiefs uniform. I think this is a really tough uphill battle for him because he was already kind of behind the eight ball, wasn't really making any waves on the depth chart, wasn't really playing particularly well or standing out even with the second a second team. So now we're in a situation where he is not getting the remainder of the preseason at all to uh, do much of anything uh in a way of you know making or cementing his his role on this football team so you know I, I saw our guy Nate Taylor reporting there's maybe some hope that he could be available and ready for week one but I mean that there's just a lot of unknown about his ability to play football his football fitness because there's there's a difference between being in shape and being foot in football shape you know that the physicality he hasn't even had a ton of opportunities in pads he hasn't got to play. He hasn't, you know, faced live bullets in 18 months. I mean, this is a really difficult spot for him. And you know, the, I think you know the the, the roster crunches that you're going to see, right? You know, with with the 53 man roster. You know, if if like let's just say Laurent DuVernay Tardif's not ready, and they want to try to sneak him on the IR and give him a little bit more time to get back up to speed, all that good stuff, he would have to He would have to be on the 53 man roster. At cut down, and then they would place him on IR so he could be eligible during the season to come back from it. So, man, this—I mean, this—this man's been put in a really difficult position, trying to race to get back for Week One potentially, but also trying to, you know, prove that you know he's a guy that this team can lean on at this point in his career, despite an injury. Like this is a—I Matt, I mean, I—I don't know, man. I—I genuinely think we might have seen the last of Laurent Duvernay-Tardif in Kansas City.
1: And making it even trickier, kind of is his timetable to return kind of coincides perfectly with Kyle Long. Now, mm. both guys can return at the exact same time. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you're the Chiefs and you're looking at how to sneak one of these two veterans onto the IR, let's say, to start the year, you're probably gonna lean towards Kyle Long, who was slated as the starter before him, who has a little bit more positional versatility. You have, you know, a tighter relationship. You have more experience with LDT, but that still comes out to show you that Kyle Long had earned that starting spot just based on their meetings and based on talking to them throughout the offseason before you know he got injured. So now you have LDT looking to come back if he's lucky, right at the same time as Kyle Long. Neither guy, I don't think, is gonna, you know, come in and take that starting role away from Trey Smith. So you're looking at battling for a backup spot, and it just seems like a big stretch to me to say. To try to slip two veterans onto your starting 50 or into your 53 man roster when neither one of them are going to be playing immediately on week one for sure. I'm with you. I think he might be done with the Chiefs following this injury. And I think I don't know, I don't know anything for sure, but I do wonder if this is kind of the beginning of him setting up to be done with football in general. He's a guy that clearly has other interests. He is a doctor after all. He does have other stuff that he wants to accomplish in life. He's talked about it. He has said it before. This would be a pretty good just push, the final push that maybe he does need if he does have other stuff he wants to move on to from getting beat up playing the game of football. This could be a good place for him to start doing that.
2: No, for sure. And it's going to be difficult for any team to look at his situation and give him that opportunity. He might be destined for a practice squad spot. I would be very surprised without knowing what Laron Duvernay-Tardif has done this entire you know uh, training camp. If I'm 31 other NFL teams, no one's I don't think burning a 53 man roster spot on him. So his opportunities to come back, man, they're I, it's it's going to be tough. It's going to be really tough. And if you if you're making me pick between Kyle Long and LDT, I'm picking the guy that you know has they're both in similar spots and where they haven't played you know real football in a while. I think Kyle Both
1: Wong, rather injury prone.
2: Yeah. I think I'm going with Kyle Long, though. I think he's a little bit farther along uh in this process. Um, okay, so let's talk about some narratives from training camp. Uh we want to, you know, kind of buy or sell some of the narratives that are out there about some of the players. And I think we have to start, Maddie, with a new addition to Kansas City. Orlando Brown Jr., are we buying or selling some of his struggles in training camp specifically in one-on-ones?
1: See, that's where it is. I think you have to split up the Orlando Brown if you're concerned with him or if you're liking what you see based on are you talking about one on ones or are you talking about team periods? Because if you look at the team periods, I don't think you see anything to be alarmed about. Yeah, you can pick out reps here or there where he maybe doesn't win, you know, decisively that particular play, but overall, you're not seeing him beat over and over and over again. And the team periods, I think that is what's going to matter for these Chiefs offensive linemen. Whereas you get to the one on ones, and you keep seeing it play after play. No matter what defensive end he's going up against, they look like they're getting up the arc around him. They're running right around him like he's standing still. I mean, Kent, I'm sure you've seen them when you go through and you see these one on one things. Like, what's going through your mind when you see some of these plays with you know Damone Harris or Taco Charlton just running around Orlando
2: Brown when he's getting up, getting up the arc and his inability to do so on those particular drills. Well, you mean you've kind of heard Orlando Brown admitting, even in recent postgame or pressers, that he's using the one on ones as opportunities to kind of work on some different techniques. So sometimes some of the stuff he's working on, especially getting acclimated to more of a pass first offense, I think there's going to be some growing pains and some stuff that he's just you know frankly working on. You know, I think some people I, I, there might have been some commentary out there. You know, I'm not sure he's looked better in team periods than he has in one on ones. I think I'm fully you know I'm in full agreement with that statement. He's looked better you know, in those team settings, the one-on-ones have been difficult at times, and he has struggled with speed, but in the actual, you know, what most closely resembles football, he's played better. And that's what I like about him. I think he's a welcome addition, Matthew, to this team and to this city.
1: Do you know what is something else that you don't want to have to
2: worry about, Kent?
1: getting top-notch customer service and the largest Ooh. selection of beer, wine, and spirits at your local liquor, liquor store. So just like the Chiefs needed to bring in Orlando Brown to Kansas City to help qualm any concern over the left tackle position, you know what Kansas Citians need to do? They need to bring up McAdoodles to Kansas City to help all of our guilty drinking pleasures and let it be taken care of at an elite level, Ken. Now, I'm not Craig. I have not talked about McAdoodles as much as he has to you guys, but I can assure you, I greatly miss getting to go to a McAdoodles. When I'm around one, I do make sure to stop in. But living out of North Carolina, I don't find myself back in the Midwest a ton. I definitely, when I come back, I to the city. And it's a little disappointing that I have to go drive, you know, a couple hours away to find my closest Macadoodles. So if you're a franchisee in the Casey area or really anywhere, but especially in the Kansas City area, get a hold of Roger at info at com, so that way you can help. The, the Kansas City area bring in McAdoodles just like the Chiefs brought in Orlando Brown to help keep Patrick Mahomes safe. Bring McAdoodles to bring home your liquor needs safely.
2: Yeah, it's it's been fun to see people <laughs> sending us pictures in front of McAdoodles. Thank you, by the way. That's been a lot of fun. Uh, it's been it's been fun uh, teaming with McAdoodles too. And uh, yeah, Orlando Brown, a welcome addition well, so, to Kansas City. So I'm think- optimistic.
1: Kent and I both aren't concerned with Orlando Brown, but I did want to go back and touch on some of these one-on-one things real quick. If you go out there and watch some of these drills that they're doing in these one-on-ones, the, not a lot of people get it, but if you pay attention to the right videos, you can see the set point that the guys are blocking for. It's pretty close to the line of scrimmage. You see that towel rolled up back there in the middle of the field? It's only about five-ish yards deep. That's all these offensive tackles are blocking for. I have heard that they are not blocking. You know, to get beat on the outside, they're blocking, trying not to get beat on the inside. That's the point of this drill for these Chiefs offensive tackles. So, you see a guy get beat up the arc. Sometimes you have to keep this in the back of your mind. What are they working on? It's not always their goal, a defensive end 10 yards up the field. So, if you see at that towel sitting there at five yards and a defensive end runs 10 yards upfield, who cares? You have to pay attention to the cues that you get of the particular drill because they're not, it's not always straightforward as it looks.
2: Well, you don't need one-on-ones to see that Chris Jones is having a phenomenal training camp. And Maddie, I want to ask you this question. Are you buying or selling Chris Jones having a career year in Kansas City? How are we defining career year here? Because
1: is he going to surpass his career high in sack totals? I don't know. That, what was it, 2018 season? That was a lot of sacks that he pulled out that year. And so if he's going to top 15 and a half sacks, that's going to be close. Do I think he's going to have his best year by, you know, just my opinion? I do think so. I actually think looks better than he ever has in the Chiefs uniform. Mm -hmm. I really think this move out to defensive end is going to do a lot for him. I think he's a little bit more excited. I think he's a little bit more pumped up to go out there and play. And you go back and look at some of these reps at defensive end in years past, And you just see him bull rush or long arm and offensive tackle that wasn't quite ready for it. And you're like, okay, that worked that time, but that's going to work once or twice a game. You're going to need more. Chris Jones has more. We've seen more. We've seen real defensive end moves from him just in training camp. I can only imagine when stuff gets live how good he's going to look getting into his full bag at this point in time.
2: I am all in on a Chris Jones career year. I don't know if that means career sacks. I I'm buying it. I actually I I I think it very well could be a year where he has his career year in sacks. I think that this, you know, this year is the best fit in Steve Spagnolo's defense specifically for him. They have you know, he's playing a little bit lighter. He's not having to do some of the things, you know, that he's done along the interior. Um, it's a better fit for his skill set. If he's going to be more disciplined on the edge, he's going to earn opportunities to rush the passer from the edge. I think he can be extremely disruptive. I think there is, you know, a lot. We've talked about it a lot. I, Matt, I think Maddie's kind of been banging that drum for. <coughs> I think a couple months here is line him up over the worst offensive lineman uh, on on an op- on an opposing team. You know, put him in. You know, just advantageous situations up and down that you know that defensive front. I think he's primed to be disruptive. I think he's freed up. To be disruptive more than he has in the last few years, because Jaron Reed being in the mix there is a big help for him and his flexibility a lot up and down that offensive line. I think he's going to be an absolute monster this year, a very disruptive player. I think he's going to be a joy to watch, and I think he is. I think this. I think this role is tailor fit for him better than anything we've seen uh, in the C Spagn- Spagnuolo area, Matty.
1: Well, everybody likes to compare Chris Jones to Aaron Donald as these interior disruptors, and I get it. From a production standpoint, that is absolutely what's going on. But if you look at the way that the Chiefs might be shaping up to use him this year, compare him to a pre-injury J.J. Watt with the Houston Texans in terms of the versatility to kick out and play as a wide nine, you know, the widest defensive end position you can be, or to slap him over the center if that's the weakest player on the opposing offensive line. You can put him as a one tech or a zero, and you can just let him play head up over that center and win that matchup over and over again. J.J. Watt was great. I mean, he, his stretch of dominance for those Houston Texans teams was phenomenal, and it was because what they did, they moved him around to give him the best matchups for him. There was a reason that J.J. Watt, when he played against the Chiefs, went up against Eric Fisher, who was struggling versus power at that time. I know we all remember Eric Fisher, you know, essentially T-backing him after J.J. Watt tore his inner thigh or whatever happened, but... There was what was put over there because Fisher struggled with power. You can do that with Chris Jones. You find the guy on the opposing offensive line that can't block him and you put him over him every single play more often than not good things are going to happen.
2: Well, I think he's always going to be operating, you know, through a tackle. Like I think that's going to be a big part of his rush plan, but man, he's actually been able to kind of turn a corner a little bit more than I've seen him in, in his time here. That's terrifying. Like it, he looks he looks primed to just be an absolute problem up and down that front, whatever tech you line him up in. Uh, and if he plays like that, this team is primed for another ring. And let me tell you something: if you are looking for a ring, I have been telling all of my friends looking for engagement rings to go to Ruback Fine Jewelry. Our dear pals. Uh, they are one of, they're the oldest establishment jewelry establishment in all of Kansas city. And I know firsthand having, you know, met Hal and talked through the ring buying process with him and, and learning a little bit about ruback It's a stress-free environment. They're here to help you. They're not trying to pressure you to do more than what you want. They're trying to build a custom ring on a custom budget, something that fits what you're able to do. So I've been telling all of my friends, uh, for a for the last year, go check out Ruback, set an appointment with them. Go to ruback.co, r-u-b-a-c-k dot co. There's no M there. And ask, uh, and, and just and set up appointment. Ask to speak to Hal. I promise you, you will not regret it. It's a wonderful experience. And that's who you need to be talking to if you are in the uh in the market for a uh for an engagement ring. So make sure you go and do that. Uh, okay, so let's talk about Marcus Kemp. Marcus Kemp's made uh, some, you know, he's made some waves this preseason. He has made some plays on offense. He's getting, more importantly, opportunities with Patrick Mahomes on offense. Maddie, are you buying Marcus Kemp in an offensive role?
1: So the Marcus Kemp making plays in training camp is a tale as old as time. We get this every single season. It happens. And it's good. Like you look at Marcus Kemp out on the football field, and sometimes the way he moves, the way he approaches a football up in the air, you really, really do want to get excited for his ability as an offensive player. But any time the regular season's rolled around, he just simply has not earned those opportunities. And when the few times that he has got out there, it just seems like he's kind of been washed away in the scrum. He has not taken advantage of the opportunities that he's been given, unlike some other guys like Byron Pringle. When he sees time, he's made the most of it. Kemp hasn't seen as much time, but he's just never been able to do the same it's going to be really hard, I think, to crack this wide receiver, just usage in this wide receiver room, if you're Marcus Kemp, because who are you taking snaps away from? At what, where is Marcus Kemp getting on the field? Because there are, the wide receiver room isn't great beyond Tyreek Hill, but there's a lot of guys that specialize in specific things. And I don't see what Kemp does better than particularly anybody else that I have penciled in making this roster.
2: I am all in on Marcus Kent making this 53-man roster. Oh, he's going to, for sure. I think he's a lock. Um, I had him on my 53-man roster projection uh, last week. I think he has made improvements offensively, and I think in a pinch, he could perform admirably. And he can perform better than some of the other wide receivers that have been at the bottom of this roster for stretches, like a Garrig Dieter. I think there is some improvement as a receiver, but I don't think it's enough for him to have necessarily carved out a role. That being said, I think he's a lock to make this team. I genuinely think that he is—he's—he's um, he's done enough offensively, and you know, to—to prove—to prove himself viable enough in a pinch, and that's all he needed to do because his special teams value—he's um, beloved by Dave Dave Taub, and I think Taub is going to not have as difficult of an argument to keep him on this football team now. Uh, So I think Marcus Kemp, the football players on the 53, I think Marcus Kemp, the wide receiver, isn't really carving himself out a role all that much. So
1: last year, the Chiefs number five wide receiver in terms of targets was Byron Pringle with 17 targets. Do you see Marcus Kemp getting over under 17 targets on
2: the year once he makes the roster? under 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 i mean i i just i think there's this thing with i mean i think this is every every fan base you know you, there's only so many targets for all these guys right i mean there's just only so many places that these guys can you know get a lot get of targets for this
1: chiefs team though yeah. a lot of targets
2: i i understand but i just look at you know like we everyone can't be a sleeper candidate everybody can't be a breakout candidate Marcus Kemp has made some plays. He's made plays in the past. So This isn't the first training camp. This isn't the first preseason that he's made plays on offense. It's just you know when it comes down to and to Maddie's point, when it comes down to game planning, what is what are they what are they working on? What are they trying to get Marcus Kemp involved with? Is he is he out there to block? I mean, I could see that. I mean, you know, but the truth of the matter is, Demarcus Robinson's a better receiver, a bigger receiving threat, and a better blocker. Byron Pringle, better blocker, or the same level blocker. Both of those guys, I think, are as good or better blockers than Marcus Kemp, but they present more of an offensive threat. So, I don't know. When you're trying to be, when you're looking specifically to to find niches and fits for these guys, Marcus Kemp's going to have a difficult time, I think, finding a, a, a role on the offensive side of the football. I fully agree. I think the Chiefs
1: wide receiver five the last two seasons has been Byron Pringle getting about 16, 17 targets each of the last two years. I really find it hard to see Marcus Kemp kind of getting above that number in this, just especially when you look at this team, like Kent said, If you're putting Marcus Kemp out there to be an X wide receiver or a blocker, how is that better than what Pringle or DeMarcus Robinson are going to bring you? I just don't see where you get him on the field. And to put Marcus Kemp on the field, you're having to slow the the development of Cornell Powell, who's also going to be competing for the same style of reps, the same, just general area of reps on the offensive side of the ball. I just, I would have a hard time seeing him have a major impact on the offensive side, barring multiple injuries at the position. But I do think that he makes the team, like Kent said. I just don't know how many snaps he's going to see on the offensive side of the football.
2: All right, Maddie, I got a couple of questions for you. I want you to pick out. Uh, we're we're going to do a little multiple choice questions here. Oh, I, I excelled at these in school. I'm good. See, I would love to get youthful Regis involved, but it's okay. It's it's too late in the show, I think. And I know he's on hiatus and all that good stuff. But uh, quarterback three, is it Mike Hughes or is it DeAndre Baker?
1: Mike Hughes, if you would have asked me right after I went to training camp, I probably would have leaned towards DeAndre Baker. I think the first day I was at camp, so this would be the, I think their second day of camp altogether. Hughes kind of went out there for the majority of the reps as the CB3. As the day went on, it looked like Baker was just playing a little bit better, understanding the system better. The following day, Baker was the first cornerback to be given a shot at that third cornerback spot. However, It seems like since then, especially since the pads have gotten on, I have seen Mike Hughes a little bit more consistently with the first team. I've seen him have a few more flashes. Whether I know we don't get to see a ton, especially not being there, but it seems like Hughes has flashed a little bit more. I think he plays a little bit more aggressively once the pads come on. I think that's something Steve Spagnuolo is always going to like out of his cornerbacks. So give me Hughes as of right now, but I think this preseason, this battle really could come down to what happens during these three preseason games.
2: Oh, I agree. I think these I think these three preseason, preseason games are good for both of these guys because I think both of these guys need to show that they can stay healthy, uh, that they can bounce back um, from physical ailment throughout the course of the preseason. Um, but, you know, getting these both of these guys need reps too. I mean, Mike Hughes has played in, I believe, less than half of the games in his career or right at half of the games in his career. DeAndre Baker finally got back on the football field last year in week 17 and hurt himself. Uh, breaking his femur, and he's been bouncing back from that. He's had to take some maintenance from that. So both of these guys, you know, I think are kind of in a situation where they need to prove themselves, they can stay healthy. They need to get some opportunities and some reps and some live games, some live bullets. Um, I think the truth of the matter is both of these guys are going to be cornerback three at different points in the season, in my opinion, because I don't know if you can rely on either of these guys from a health perspective. I think the team needs both of these guys. I think early on you'll see Mike Hughes but Mike Hughes has also been injury prone as well. So I think you're just hoping you can cobble together enough between the two of them to play, you know, adequately, you know, in nickel, uh, you know, for this team. So I think that's, or, or, or dime, you know, like you, these guys, whenever there's three cornerbacks on the field, you've got to, you know, you've got to have one of these guys stepping in and one of them has got to be, you know, the dude for a stretch this year. Uh, and it's, I think it's going to be both, though. I, I'll I'll go with Hughes right off the bat, though. That's my guy now. Oh, I got a related defensive back question for you.
1: Kent. Oh, no! I, I, I text youthful Regis and he sent this over to you. So there is a correct answer here, but he's not coming on the show. He just sent me this question. So he's around, you have to start one, bench one, and cut one. Oh, no, between Rashad Fenton, Bo P Keys, and Devin Key.
2: <laughs> oh. oh, oh. Start one, bench one, and key, uh and cut one. Yup, I'm cutting Bo Pete keys.
1: Woo! He's yeah, he's been showing up. He's been showing up at camp the last few days. And we're not there. We don't see every rep. I've just seen him. He's made a few plays at camp. He has shown ball skills, something that the cornerback room in Kansas City has not done a ton of.
2: I understand uh, some of these reps have been with 13 and he's intercepted sure. in in and I'm a big Bo Peek keys guy. I put it, put it a pretty nice little grade on him in the 2020 KC draft guide. I am starting this might this I'm starting Rashad Fenton and here's why I'm dancing with the devil. I know Rashad Fenton has played admirably adequately. I don't know the right word slightly adequately. Uh, in you know in steve spagnolo's defense he's actually played meaningful defensive snaps for this football team i'm keeping him i'm benching devin key but i want to hold on to devin key rather than hold on to Bo pete keys so i'm holding on to devin key with the hope that you know he can develop more into a, a more you know you know a, a quality piece the potentially the dan Sorensen replacement down the road
1: i think that's the correct answer here uh just because the safety room is better in the cornerback room, yeah. So if you're having to bench a current slated starter, I would rather bench, as we're talking here, you know, Mike Hughes or DeAndre Baker yeah. over having to bench Dan Swords and Tyron Matthew. Or, I mean, or even Juan Thornhill. I don't even know if Devin Key. I'm ready to slap him ahead of Juan Thornhill on that safety depth chart yet. But I'm with you. I think that's the only way you can go. Not being in the room though, if Bo Keyes is showing development, if he's showing things that you like to see in terms of progressing the right way. I could buy moving on from Fenton starting key and just benching keys for the time being, because I do think ultimately there's a higher ceiling there with him than Fenton. I I just think it hurts your team a little too much this year without being in the room with them.
2: Yeah. I, I I think the logic's entirely sound. All right. One more question here, Maddie. Let's talk about third down running back. Who are you taking? You taking Jarek McKinnon. You taking Daryl Williams. Are you taking Clyde Edwards alaire
1: Ooh, that's a tough one. I mean, Daryl Williams has been really good in this role for the Chiefs. I mean, he really has been. He picks up blitzes incredibly well. He's a big stout running back. So when guys hit him, they are stopped in their tracks. He does a good job crossing the formation to pick up guys, knowing when to slip out. He does a really good job. I also trust Jarek McKinnon to do a really good job because mm-hmm. he's done it for two teams, one of which is Kyle Shanahan's offense. It's relatively complex in some ways. He's done a good job picking it up. I think he'll have no problem picking up Andy Reid's protection packages in the same way. So I could see McKinnon being a quality in this role. Add in his playmaking ability. I really do think that McKinnon would probably be my first choice as long as he's understanding the playbook. Then Daryl. And as high as I am on Claudio Zulia receiving ability, I don't think you can trust him yet as a blocking running back versus simply his size. There's just going to be some defenders that can run through him at his size until he learns how to really set his base and take on blockers or defenders. I haven't seen it yet.
2: I think linebackers can really have their way with him when he's set up in protection. I think Clyde's going to get a few more opportunities this year than he has in the past. I think he'll eat into this third down role a little bit more. I agree with you. There are some concerns about Maybe him being the you know I I I'm picking Daryl Williams for for that reason, but I do think Clyde Edwards-Alaire is going to carve out a little bit more opportunity on third down. It and to your point, it might be a little bit more week to week specific, but I do think he's going to eat into that and give himself a few more opportunities to catch the ball out of the backfield, um and, and be on the field a little bit more. So, um I think it's Daryl again, but I think Clyde is. He's coming a little bit in, in a different role. I think they're gonna to try to utilize him and get him a little bit more involved this year. And that includes third down personally. So um McKinnon's the interesting one. I yeah, I, where do you see him getting on the field? Or do you see him getting on the field I, much? I think you know when I almost, I'll be honest with you, I almost went with third down committee. If I'm being if I'm being honest, yeah. I almost went with like a third down committee because I could see all these guys getting looks. I do think Jarek McKinnon's making this football team though now, and I've kind of been on the fence about that because I know Steve, I know uh, Dave Tobe has a lot of influence on that third running back spot, and Darwin Thompson's played a lot of different special teams. But the reports, you know, from hashtag Camp TikTok have been Jarek McKinnon playing on on teams a little bit more uh, than than maybe he has in the past. So that's a really positive indicator that he's willing to actually do it. And it bodes well for his chance of making this football team if he's willing to play special teams, because he's going to have to, whether or not uh, he's the third down back or not, they're going to try to, you know, they're going to have involved in capacity there. And it's a positive sign that he is. Um, but yeah, and I, I again, like I almost went like committee. Like I could see all three of these guys in the mix in some capacity on third down, too.
1: The Chiefs have done a really good job getting, you know, three running backs involved, sometimes four throughout Andy Reid's tenure. Now they've had some issues with injuries at that position. So that's clearly played a role, but you can look back and they've done a really good job, even getting a fourth running back like Darwin Thompson last year, got a fair amount of reps in certain games, but like they found a way to get him on the field, get some plays designed for him. So I do think that. Whoever that third running back is, whether it's going to technically be Jarek McKinnon, Darrell Williams, if Darwin Thompson's still around, they'll get to see some play. I just think that McKinnon does provide something a little bit more unique than a lot of the other running backs in recent years have for the Chiefs with his ability on third. He's essentially Damian Williams light. It's the same concept. It's a big home run hitter that's not a consistent down-to-down runner, good on third downs for his pass protection, his ability as a receiver, and then he can turn any play into a big game. Big gain. We saw how well that worked out for the Chiefs with Damian Williams. I don't think that he'll get anywhere close to that volume, but he's a similar type of player. And we do know that Andy Reid and this Chiefs team do like that. So I do think they'll find a way to get him involved. And if that has to be third down, I do think that he might get the majority of those reps. But I can buy that it's by committee.
2: Jarek McKinnon, the, um, you know, Jarek McKinnon, just his career has been, you know, kind of derailed a lot by injuries. So having more of a small niche role could really benefit him. Uh, and could help him find some success. I do agree. I, I love the Damian Williams comp. I almost went with it earlier a little bit. Um, it's it's true. I think there's some similarities there. And Jarek McKinnon, the running back, is very. It's he's a lot better than Darwin Thompson, point blank. I've never shied away from that. It's always been a concern about special teams. This team does not always take the most talented player at the bottom of their roster. They do some weird stuff at the bottom of their rosters, and they're not always willing to develop young talent necessarily as much as they are willing to maintain and hold on to some of their core special teams players. So um, that's always been a concern of mine, but I'm starting to think, you know, Jerick McKinnon getting some looks on special teams, that does bode well uh, for for his opportunity to, uh, to make this football team. All right, well, that is going to do it for the Casey Laboratory. Thank you so much for listening thank you so much to Emprise bank for all they've done for kc sports network be sure to check out everything going here on kc sports network this week it's game week we are super excited about that and uh we're super excited to talk to you later this week. Catch you.
1: make sure to shout out craig for getting that water burger
2: to wichita